Well, thank you so much to the choir and Don and Andre with the cello. We always love it when Andre's here playing the cello, and um, certainly we give God praise for that. And um, it is good to be here with you on uh, this weekend. You know, this is, of course, uh, typically kind of a low Sunday with a fall break kind of crushing us. And, um, you know, I always, I always think this is a great week to do all of our errands, right? There's nobody around. And so I, I think that when everyone else is posting pictures of Facebook and Instagram where they are, we should just do videos of just why we are living the dream here. So that's, uh, that's what I say. But I am so glad to be here with you this morning as we continue in our look at Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has been... Um, I think a very interesting book about the realities of, of building a wall and a rebuilding a wall and the challenges that are always a part of pursuing the mission of God. And so even though, as we've said, even though this story took place so long ago now, um, there are remarkable things that we have to learn about the realities of what it looks like to follow God even today. And so with that... Let us continue by looking at Nehemiah 6 this morning. Please read with me. Rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshub sent to me saying, come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? They sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to the king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. There is a king in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these words. So come, therefore, and let us confer together. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. One day when I went into the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehedabal, who was confined to his house, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, tonight, like me, go come to the temple to save his life. I will not go in. Then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him at all, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this purpose to intimidate me and make me sin by acting in this way. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noidia and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid." So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work of Jesus sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Era, and his son Jehoahan, 
and married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Barakiah. Whatever happened to John and Peter and names like that, huh? Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. This, sisters and brothers in Christ, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we gather on this crisp autumnal morning giving you praise and praying yet again that you would open up our ears and our hearts, our minds to you. May the word and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, again, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot over the last few weeks, especially when it comes to Nehemiah, is that one of the great gifts that it gives to us is this permission for things always to not go swimmingly and easily. I think far too often, whenever we are pursuing something that God has called us to, that with great frequency, whenever we run into any kind of resistance or conflict, we automatically begin to assume that this must not be of God. And so Nehemiah here, this book gives us great permission to know that we can keep pressing forward amidst the resistance that we may be meeting. Because again, again repeatedly, of course, is the same thing, right? What's going on here? Well, it seems that Sanballat is getting a little bit nervous. Geshem, they're getting a little bit nervous because now the the wall is almost completely rebuilt. And so it's been pointed out that there's this kind of subtle shift that is going on from no longer are they mocking the wall and how poor the wall is and the fact that a fox at any moment could, could totally tumble the wall all the way down. Now they are looking to attack Nehemiah himself. And so this is exactly what we see. So he gets a letter, right, that they want to meet. And where do they want to meet? They want to meet in this place called the Plain of Ono, which I think is kind of funny. It's kind of like never go to a Plain of Ono, right? Uh, From where Jerusalem is, right? Which in that day and age means that's no small feat. That's going to take several days in that terrain to walk it or to take a horse or a donkey. It's going to take a while to be able to get there to meet and to get back. And so he doesn't want to go there and waste all of that time, of course, by going there and then coming back. And he also has the sense that they may not want him to live. And so he sends back this very clear, crisp you know, letter saying, no, I'm not going to come. Specifically, he says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? He is staying focused on what he is going to do. He knows the great work to which he has been called. But Sembalat and Gesh then another letter, right? This is very much like children, is it not? At least our children, to where they will keep asking you the same question again and again and again and again. Even though you've told them no once, you have to tell them no again, and then you have to tell them no again and again for some reason. And do you know why they keep doing that? Because they know the odds of you relenting are growing each time they ask that question. Either they've seen it work for them or for their friends or they saw it on television or in a movie. I don't know. They saw it somewhere. And they're right because it grows very wearying having to continually say no, right? And so they keep asking. But of course, every time I have great work to do, I cannot come down. I have a great work to do. I cannot come down. But that still doesn't stop them. In fact, we're told they send a fifth letter. 
The fifth letter is a little different this time because it says, well, you know what? You know what he's wanting. He's trying to become the king. This is what Nehemiah is trying to do. But what really differentiates this letter is the fact that it's what we call an open letter. Right, and you know an open letter. Maybe you've, you've kind of received one of those where you're telling somebody, but you're also telling everybody else at the same time. You see, they're very smart. They realize that if it's not working just for them to tell you, that perhaps they can begin to get you to be concerned about what everybody else is thinking or what everybody else is saying, that everybody's thinking. You're thinking about fearing the fact that everybody else thinks that he wants to be something that he doesn't really want to be, that if he began to spend all this time doing that, that all of a sudden the great work that he was doing would, would, would begin to cease, right? And so what does he say? He says this. He's very succinct. No such things, as you say, have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. He was clear. He was to the point. He prayed, and then he kept moving forward. So then they don't give up. So then they hire Shemaiah. Shemaiah is a prophet. It's also, I think, isn't that the beginning of Laverne and Shirley? Uh, uh, something like that. I just thought about that now. It's similar. So, so he says, he says, he goes into this prophet, and the prophet says, hey, you know what? We need to go into the temple. And then it gets really kind of slow, right? If that had happened to me, I'd be like, where? Right? I mean, wouldn't you be nervous, right? I mean, wouldn't you be afraid? Most of us would be a little bit, you know, uh, daunted by the fact that, that someone's going to kill us and that, you know, pretty specific tonight they're going to kill you. But that doesn't shape him, does it? He just, he, he looks around and he says, no, I am not going to be going to the temple. Why should I be afraid? In other words, he knew exactly what they were trying to do, which was to scare him into again, not going, continuing the work that he was going to do. No, he said, I have a great work to do. And this is exactly what he did. In fact, we are told, and it's almost anticlimactic after six chapters of talking about rebuilding the wall, all of a sudden we're simply told great the work to do. And Nehemiah, alongside all of the others who were helping, they did the great work. So what is the message of this particular chapter? Well, I think this is perhaps one of the most clear cut of all of the chapters, which is this, that it's this great reminder to us that no matter what it is that you may be doing, whether it's as a church, whether it's as a pastor or a pastor, whether it's as on your job, whether it's parenting, whatever else it may be, no matter what it is that you are trying to do, no matter what job it is that you have, that there are always going to be a plethora of distractions that's given to you to do. That there will always be sirens, if you will, that tempt you to take your eye off of the great work that you're called to do and begin to get you to start focusing on this over here or that over there. Nehemiah, we see this throughout, but especially in the sixth chapter, that what they kept trying to do, what they knew is if they could distract Nehemiah in some way, that he would lose focus and that the wall would not be completed. And I think one of the things that makes this most difficult is that a lot of times the things that we are tempted to be distracted by are really good things. Think about even Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he could have gone down and said, I want to talk to these enemies. Maybe if I spend some wall them, or, 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 or maybe, maybe I should stop what I'm doing in order to go around and tell everybody, no, 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 I don't want to be the king. You know me. I'm Nehemiah. You know you grew up. You know me. 
I don't want to be the king. And, and he could have done damage control, spent a lot of time doing that, and the wall still wouldn't have gotten done. Or he could have been afraid. He says, let's go into the temple because I don't want to die, especially tonight. I mean, this is a good night. I don't want to die tonight. And so, so there would have been a good, it would have made sense, right? And we are continually distracted, it seems to me, not by bad things, yes, at times by bad things, but primarily what takes us off the great work to which we have been called are all the good options that we have. You see it, especially, of course, in the church. I mean, the church, oftentimes we see this. One of the things that we know is that we've been called to a great work. We do that by being shaped by Jesus, like Jesus, by building for God's kingdom. We see we do it through worship. We do it through um, Great banquet, we do it through home groups, we do it through our different missions that we do. But do you know what? That is a great work. But do you know what I receive pretty much every week? Or is an email, or a phone call, or both? Sometimes, quite frankly, it's a ZPCer who comes in. And do you know what they, they always, almost always have? A really good thing for us to do. And I mean, they really are usually good things. I mean, it's rare that somebody will come in and say, hey, we think that you should do this bad ministry over here. No, no, no. It's usually a really good thing. And I want you to know, and it's wonderful. It's great. I'm not speaking. I mean, there's so many good things. But here's what I want you to know as well, that if we at CPC tried to do every single good thing that came to our attention, we would never do the great thing to which God has called us. But now that's pretty hard because sometimes, especially if it's a ZPC or if it's an email, I, I don't care. I don't really usually know them, right? But if it's a ZPC and they go, hey, I got this really good thing. You got to do this. And, and then you'd be like, oh, I just don't know. Like, oh, you don't care about the poor? No, I care about the poor, but we're doing this over here. Oh, you don't love Jesus? I love Jesus, right? And so sometimes we're able to do the good things and that's good and right. And, and sometimes that fits really well into the great work that we're doing. But but sometimes it's easy to get distracted and to not continue as in all of our lives. And I think we have to be mindful of this, which is that all of us as individuals have been called to a great work. And if you don't know what that great work is, you will be continually distracted by lots of good things. Take, for instance, Starbucks, since I just talked about it. You know, they advertise that there are over 80,000 drinks that you can get at Starbucks. 80,000. Now, usually we're like, hey, that is great. Because, you know, I mean, we should have choices, doggone it. But here's what the research shows, which is that too many choices is actually harmful to you. Right? It's actually dangerous to have that many choices. They say, well, why would that be the case? Well, just think about it for a moment, right? Think about maybe it's a spouse that you have chosen, or, or maybe it's a job, or maybe it's just a drink. But what happens is you have all those choices, and so as soon as you make a choice and you get it, and you're like, hmm. And you think, you know, I mean, this is okay, but there are a few bad things about it that you don't quite love. And then you look over, and someone else is drinking the thing that you had thought about drinking, and they look happy, and you think, I knew I should have gotten that one, right? And so all of a sudden, what happens, then you begin, and again, this can be more than just a drink, right? This happens with jobs, with spouses, with lots of different things, and you begin to think, oh, and so all of a sudden, then you get, I mean, research shows this, you begin to get into a very well lead play depression, and the odds are good that you're always going to find the bad that you have and see only the good that you don't have. This is human nature. 
Of course, it also crushes our time having so many choices. Have you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> that menu is ridiculous. And here's what I want you to know. I mean, there are, if you haven't been there, it is a novel, the menu. How many different things? And do you know what there is also always when you go to Cheesecake Factory? Cheesecake, yeah, that's true. That was the obvious one. Usually my questions are very obvious. There's almost always a wait. You want to know why? Because everyone at the table is still looking through everything that they might have. Right? And again, what research shows, that's just continuing because we have more and more good options, right? So we, we go to a website, and we think, oh, I know what I want. I want this. And then you go to a website, and you think, oh, I bet you I can find it cheaper someplace else. And sure enough, 20 hours later, you have found it $5 cheaper. And you're like, ha ha. You know what I mean? Think about the fact that you spent 20 hours, but do you know what always happens? You make the purchase five minutes later, you get something in your email or something, you find another site, you could have gotten it for even $5 cheaper. And then guess what you do? You get angry. So here's what's happened. You've wasted 20 hours to save $5, and then you're mad because you could have saved even more. And you've wasted 20 hours when you could have been doing a great work, like being prepped by reading the scripture, by praying, by, by, by loving your neighbor, by, 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 by caring for the poor. You could have been doing so many other things. Think about how much time you spend online trying to find the next best great deal and you find some good thing and you have wasted an opportunity to have been about the great work to which God has called you. And you end every day, every week, every month, every year exhausted because you have spent so much time doing all of these good things, and yet you cannot recall any of those good things that you have done because they really, by and large, have no real meaning and purpose. What God calls us to is to discern what is the great work to good ambitions that are out there. Of course, as we see in Nehemiah, there's also the reality of the distraction of other people. What other people are thinking, what other people are doing, more likely what other people are thinking about me. I mean, it would have been very easy. In fact, if I had been Nehemiah, I feel quite certain that I would have been going around right after this open letter and been talking to people. You know me, right? You like me, right? I mean, we're good, right? We're, we're okay. You know, I don't want to be king. I, that's really never been anything I've wanted. And all of a sudden, I would have spent all my time doing this damage control, doing this good PR just to make sure that we're all good. We're good, right? We're good, right? We're good. We're okay, right? And guess what happens when he's spending all that time doing there? The great work to which he has been called is about what not to think about us, right? Churches do that as well. Churches easily get distracted by what the church down the road is doing. Oh, they're doing that. That looks really good. That seems like it's really popular. Maybe we should do that. Or they're not doing that anymore. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. And while we certainly can learn from other churches, there's no shame in that. The reality is, if you're chasing after every good other option in hopes that that will make people like you more, then you are going to miss out on the great work of making disciples to which God has called us. But my guess is it may happen even more in our own personal lives. How many of us struggle, even though we know we shouldn't, with being too concerned about what others think about us? I think most of the ways that we move beyond that is by knowing that your identity, your purpose, who you are is in God first and foremost, not in what everyone else 
thinks about you. But I also think that this particular story in the sixth chapter may shed some light on at least one real practical thing you can do to begin to care less about what others are thinking about you. Let me explain it like this. So Sanballat and Geshem, I think it is, or maybe somebody else at this juncture, so many names, so many enemies. They say, you know what? We think that you want to be king of Judah. Do you know why, more than likely, Mark Roberts points this out, why it is that they thought that he wanted to be king of Judah? Well, the odds are, maybe wanted to be king of Judah. We spend most of our time projecting on others what we know ourselves are thinking, right? I mean, that's what, that just tends to be like, you're always thinking, well, whatever I'm thinking is more than likely what that other person is thinking. So here's what we do. This is, hang with me here. We get concerned about what others think about what car I'm driving or how I look or what kind of house I live in or, or, or where I went on vacation. We, we think, oh man, these people, you know, we get concerned about what people think about this. And most of us wrestle with this, let's be honest. And we, we get concerned maybe if we have somebody in our house, oh no, they're going to think our house is dirty or, or ugly or it's not updated or whatever, right? We, get, we, 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 we grow concerned. Do you know why? I feel fairly certain of this. You guys think about if this is true or not. You can tell me later. It's because more than likely we are spending an inordinate amount of time thinking about those things about them, thinking about the house that they're living in and whether or not we like it or not, thinking about the way they look and whether we like it or not, thinking about the car that they have and whether we like it or not, thinking about the vacation that they're going on and wondering about whether or not we like it or not. Here's the reality. The more that you are projecting on others, or excuse me, the more that you keep thinking about, oh, wow, I wish I had that, or mm, they have the perfect family or the perfect spouse or, or, or everything is great for them. The more time you spend thinking through that, judging that, the more likely you are to begin to think that they are thinking the same thing about you. This is counterintuitive with what you are thinking about them. And it will begin to cultivate a different sense. Now, that's not easy to do. But perhaps what you need to do is maybe there's someone on Facebook or Instagram who you are, I mean, you just know they're kind of a rival for you. And every time they put up that vacation and you think, oh, it's just a little bit better than mine, right? Or, or their family's just a little bit prettier. Let me tell you what to do. Eliminate them from your friends. Now, I don't know. I forget what it's called. What is it? You don't have to say you're no longer a friend, but you can hide them. Stop looking at what they're doing. Or maybe also, can I say this? Maybe you should start hanging out with some different people as well. I mean, listen to this. If you begin to cultivate in yourself every time, if you hang out with people, go to French, go for fall break, right? Because that very well may begin to shape you a little bit differently. Now, look, if you went to the French Riviera last spring break, that's fine. I'm not saying don't be friends with people like you. In fact, we have a building thing coming up, so come talk to me. But what I am saying, what I am saying is this, is that maybe expand that a little bit or figure out ways to not kind of cultivate within you a sense of envy, Right? There are things, practical things that you can do. And if you begin to think less about them and judge them less and, and, and project less, then you will begin to grow less concerned with that. And then you can be about the great work to which God has called you. Don't be distracted by that. I love what Hamzy said, to impress people we don't even like. 
So let's begin to reshape so that we can think about the great work to which God has called us. We are so often distracted. Finally, and this is probably the most obvious one. I don't even have to talk about it that much. We are oftentimes distracted from the great work to which God has called us by fear. This is clearly what Nehemiah's enemies wanted to do. They wanted him to grow fearful. In fact, Nehemiah even mentions it. He says, I know what they're wanting. They're just wanting to make me afraid. They're trying to taunt me. Most of us know how often fear or anxiety can keep us up at night or consume our minds all day long. And if you are fearful or anxious, think about it. Is that thing that is bringing you fear or anxiety? And the future is so unknown for all of us that if you let it, it will rack your hearts and your minds relentlessly. And it can inhibit us from really doing the great work to which God has called us. One of the questions this week for the home groups is this simple question of, has there been a time in the past when you did not move forward with something or try something because you were too afraid, right? And most of us, I would say, have at least one example of that, probably even more. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a trip that you wanted to take, but you were too scared. It was an adventurous trip. You were too scared about what was going to happen or you didn't want to leave the kids behind. And so you just didn't do it. But now you've always wondered, oh, thinking about kind of branching out and doing something on your own or taking this start and doing something else like that. And you allowed fear to hinder you from doing that. Maybe, uh, maybe it's caring for the homeless or the poor and you've allowed fear because you don't know what was going to happen or you thought, I won't know what to say. I won't know what to do. And so it's inhibited you from doing the great work that God has called you. Maybe it's sharing with somebody the message of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. And you are too worried and fearful about what they're going to think about you or that they're going to ask a question that you don't have the answer to. And so you keep allowing fear to keep you from doing the great work to which God has called you. And let me just say this, Nehemiah was met with that daily. Most of us will not have to be incredibly fearful that we are going was that he knew the great work to which he had been called. He knew that there would be fear. That's just a part of what happens. And yet he was able to keep going. Nehemiah kept praying. He was always praying, always praying, always praying. And Nehemiah was always in community. It's easy for us to forget this, but there were a bunch of other people who were building alongside of him. And one of the things that keeps us from allowing fear to hinder us is for us to have a community to be with, perhaps people with whom we can pray, people with whom we can share. Look, I'm kind of scared about this. People who have been in the same situation, right? We always, it's always better to do these things in community, right? I was thinking about this maybe... Um, you know, I, I hardly ever watch it, but people are always one person who says, oh, I'm going to peel off here from the rest of you. Never peel off from the community in the midst of a fearful time. That's the time for you to get even closer so that then you have the courage to keep moving forward. And because of that, you know what happened? They finished the great work to which God had called them in 52 days. And the surrounding nations knew that there was something different about their God because of that. And someone has pointed out this reality, which I think is well said, which is that, did you notice, unlike many of the other books of the Bible, there's no explicit miracle going on here, right? It wasn't like they turn left and then they look back because they made choice after choice after choice to keep 
focus on the great work to which God had called them. They did not give in to the gods of distraction, the gods of saying, well, there are so many other good things that you could be doing, the gods of wondering what everybody else is thinking about me as I do this work, the gods of fear. Instead, they kept going. And so the question I have for us this morning is this. What might we do and what might you do in your own life, if you were so focused on the great work of God that you did not what God has called you to do. May we be focused, sisters and brothers, as Nehemiah was focused. May we be mindful of the distractions that are always aplenty. And may we keep moving forward choice by choice by choice as we do the great work that God has called us to do. Amen.